Welcome back to Season 3 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stefano Bini. In this series of podcasts, we are highlighting the best presentations from the January 2020 San Francisco Digital Orthopedics Conference, otherwise known as DOCSF, presented in partnership with UCSF's Department of Orthopedic Surgery, and the November 2019 DOCSF Berlin Conference, presented in partnership with Frontiers Health. On this, episode 16 of season 3, we start our 7 podcast series from DocSF Berlin, hosted at the end of 2019 with Frontiers Health. Our first presentation will be the keynote with Lucien Engelen. He is one of Europe's pioneers in the digital health space and was instrumental in introducing telehealth and other technologies in, in the Netherlands and the rest of the European Union. He is now working for Deloitte, and we were delighted to have him kick off our inaugural event in Europe. Please join Lucien and our moderator, Shauna Butler, host of the See You Now podcast and managing director of exponential medicine, as well as the director of experience at DocSF. Let's join them on the DocSF stage in Berlin. We are so fortunate to have with us today a mind and a thinker and somebody who really takes a lot of different data points, synthesizes them, and really, I say this in the, the nicest of way, pushes us to do things better and faster. So Lucien England, he has been a powerhouse in the Netherlands, but is really known across Europe and increasingly across the globe, is somebody who's helping us to connect the dots to understand why digital why health, who those players are, and how they need to play together. So please welcome to the stage, Lucien England. First of all, thank you for inviting me. If we could put up my slides, uh, I could start really out with a small brief video that has been created. Are there art enthusiasts in the audience as well? Anybody heard about Salvador Dali? How long has it been since the guy has passed away? Any guess? 20, 30 years? 33 years indeed. Can we have the slide, please? It's always great when you start to talk about technology and if the technology doesn't work, of course. Maybe I can then start to introduce a bit of myself. I can skip a couple of slides. For the last 12 years, I've been working at Radboud University Medical Center in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. Over there, we've created a small innovation center at the Convergence or actually at the intersection of technology at one end and patient empowerment at the other one. And the reason for that was that we've increasingly seen that technology gives us an option to not only displace the way and the, the, the place that we deliver healthcare, but also to empower people even more as we've done before. Because people want to have a choice, a choice whether or not to get the healthcare delivered at the hospital and increasingly also with technology do it in different places. So one of the core messages that I've been working on is those four axes that healthcare will be changing in the next, let's say, generation. First of all, I think healthcare will be delocalized. Given technology that increasingly becomes scientific proven as well, we see that this technology is going to displace the places where we deliver healthcare. Second of all, the data that is going to shift from the hands of the professional at one end into the hands of the citizen slash the patient. 
because with all kinds of technologies like smartphones, um, sensors that you can use uh, in, in different places, that data not anymore gets into the hands of the professional first, but first at companies like Apple, and you've seen the news about Google, I think, as well in the last couple of days. So whether or not that's a good thing, that's not to me to decide, but it's more like this is a given. And the third axis that healthcare is changing is it that it is becoming digital. And that is not only from a technological perspective, but also in terms of speed. I often joke that an elephant that farts in India is sooner on YouTube than they smell it over there. And that's one of the things that's happening. If something has been invented, for instance, in Australia, in the early days, we needed a missionary and a boat to get it from Africa to Europe or the other way around. Now we got YouTube. And the fourth layer, the fourth D actually, is where we now see that dollars are kicking in from completely different organizations. Companies that are not connected to healthcare at all, and also using different kinds of rules and different engagement aspects into it. And that is changing, and that is actually pushing, as Shona also pointed out, pushing how we want to deliver healthcare and how healthcare is going to be delivered. But the one thing, and maybe I should ask, uh, say that that is actually the elephant in the room, is that in the Netherlands, at least, and I think the numbers for different countries are a bit, of, a bit similar, 94% of all healthcare expenditure is being put in fixing stuff. Pills, knives, what have you. And the other 6% is used for those diseases where we all know that almost 50% of them are preventable. So why are we not changing that equation in the end of the day? And when I have access to my slides in a couple of minutes, I hope I also would love to show you how in the end of the day, for instance, a couple of countries really embark on this and changing not only legislation, but actually also changing the law to make this transition happen. One good example is Germany, where we are at today, where they now created this Digital Health Act. By law, physicians, I think right now in the legislation text, are able to prescribe an app to their patient and get reimbursed for it. And that's a new one. In Belgium, you see that they are very much embarking on how a platform for each and every citizen in Belgium is accessible, not only for healthcare workers, but also for patients, family, and informal care, if patients allow. And the third country, not only is also in the Netherlands, where we've set strong goals for the next five years to meet those criteria, like in 75% of the Dutch citizens should be able to have video consultations within five years. Is that a question? Yeah, please do. What do you think of Finland? What do you think of, well, in the Nordics, there is a lot of stuff happening as well. We've seen things happening in Estonia. We see things happening, of course, in Sweden and Denmark, but also in Finland. I think there's a lot of traction all across the world at present, and specifically in those countries that I named where the Nordics, of course, are part of, where you now see that not only governments, but also healthcare systems embarking on this digital, well, digital strategy, actually it's just a strategy. Uh, we are adding digital to the equation because the digital part of it is making that possible. Whereas in the old way, it wasn't possible to do these things, for instance, in remote locations for that. So one of the other aspects that I think is also prone is that we got this mindset of who are the people that we are delivering healthcare to. And in the majority of the policies and, and legislations and also in the heads and minds of people in government, it's the elderly people, which is true for one part. 
The thing, however, is that we perceive many of those elderly people as people who are not able or prone to use technology, which is no longer the case. Let's be honest, in the current day and age, we are admitting the first Rolling Stones fans to elderly homes. And they're using technology, I can tell you. My own mother-in-law, she's 92, had recently had a hip replacement, not by my friend Stefano, but by somebody else. But she has an iPad. We've given her this iPad. And there are times that I regret that I give her one. By the way, if you need cat pictures, I'm, I'm your man. But it's more like she's connected. And nobody had to teach her how she would use that iPad, for instance. And the second thing that's happening is that many people in elderly age or on age are have been given, due to the art of medicine, extra time. No longer at 60 year old and stuffed and sitting at your table in your own small room. It's a way and a moment when you go out there where you start riding your bikes. And a lot of people in that age have been saved some money and are going out not only on cruises or other vacations. The other thing, however, and that's the second elephant I will always talk about, is that in 15 years from now, the healthcare demand for elderly people and the millennials is equal big. So why is it that in the majority of these healthcare plans, it's only talked about elderly people? Where these millennials, and we've just wrapped up uh, a research within uh, Deloitte, where in the Netherlands, in the age span of 25 to 35, 17% already faces burnout fatigue. So these are youngsters that also have told us that one third of them already each and every morning shows up uninterested at their job. So that's not only the Monday morning, let's be honest. So the, this is also our new future workforce. So we have to be mindful not only to see that elderly people can use technology, maybe not each and every one, but majority is, and there's this new group coming up that is in demand of healthcare on terms of mental health problems, being obese, uh, diabetes, and what have you. So that also needs a totally different approach, so to say, where I think that from the actual innovation perspective, you can do a lot. The problem, however, is, and that's one of the things that I've been doing in the last 12 years at, at Radboud, is that we've often take this huge approach where we've ignited big, hairy projects and almost none of them worked. So what we started to do was to dissect it. And we've created three different labs for that. One of which is called the Reshape Innovation Lab, where Shauna uh, joined us for a whole year in the Netherlands, where people would be working at the front end of technology, new technology that hasn't been approved, is not being reimbursed, stuff that will hit your breakfast table, let's say, in five or 10 or 15 years from now. Then at the total other end of the spectrum, there was this group that's called Process Improvement and Implementation. Those are the guys and girls that would implement projects in 50 departments within the hospital. And then we thought we were there. The problem, however, was that this group, the youngsters often on sneakers, are not able to talk to the other group that are people that are very well known with Prince 2 technology and stuff like that. And the other ones, the only Prince that they know was on a stage and unfortunately has passed away. So we had to create this blend of it. And that was the reason and the rationale to create a third lab right in the middle of it, where also the privacy officers and people from quality, people from reimbursement and business cases also joined the equation. And that bridge in the end turned out to be the right one. So my message here is that you have to break up your innovation processes in each and every organization. 
Don't think that you can manage it with one organization. Also, don't think that you can manage it from a situation from uh, the daily business. This innovation cycle has to be put completely aside and not even be running by the IT department of your organization because those are the guys and girls that want to keep up with the steady going on uh, business and they're not able to do it in another way. So tasking them with such an endeavor is a very tough one, I think. Maybe I could wrap it up with this, uh, given also the fact that the technology is not working yet, and open it up uh, for some questions and answers if that's possible. And I think maybe Shauna can help me in that. To your point, it had to be broken up into different groups. We had to, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we have been asking a lot is there's the Department of Innovation, mm -hmm. but do groups have a Department of Implementation? Yeah. So what is the difference between the innovation and the actual activities that people in the implementation group are doing? The thing is that what is the definition of innovation? It completely matters who, are, who you're asking the question to. So we've always said it has to be new. Mm -hmm. It has to do something that really has benefit and it has not to, and, and, and it is out of the regular system, for instance. And once you get this up and running, and this is not a minimal vile product, for instance, but when it really does work, and you have some sense also of the science that backs that up, right. then you go into the next level and broaden the group. And the reason to break it up in different departments within that innovation sphere is that these guys at the front end are able to do stuff that you cannot order from a catalog. The group in the middle, for instance, mm -hmm. with this new hospital that we're building, right. is able to order something out of a catalog because that hospital okay. needs to open in, let's say, 18 months from now. Mm -hmm. And then you got this third group that is responsible to implement it in the everyday operation, which is basically not only in terms of project management, but also change management. So you mentioned the group. Mm -hmm. Who's in that group at each one of those stages, and are they different? So in that reshape aspect, totally at the front end, if you, if you would look into the McKinsey horizons, that would be the third horizon, the, mm -hmm. the one most far away. These are technologists. These are guys and girls that work also on space health and also on design thinking, because the things that they want to run needs to be connected to the ask from the group that you're doing this. The second group is, like I said, also people from privacy, people running in business cases, but also education. How to get this in Make the sure minds. it's in the curriculum, That's so it's in the mindset. And, and the third group is, like I said, these are our internal consultants. So the interesting other thing is that in each and every group, there's also patients, family, and informal care connected to it. And one of the other things, and I was very proud that you joined us for that as well, is that in all the innovation discussions that I had at tables, none of them were together with nurses. There only were physicians in the room. Go figure. We yeah. got slides. Do you want to start over? <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I could emphasize on a couple of them in, yeah. in a minute. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing I was thinking about is sometimes it's not so hard to embrace a new idea. It's hard to let go of an existing idea. So if we're talking about executing, mm -hmm. what have you found that's been effective for people to let go of sacred cows? Mm -hmm. Because that oftentimes it's the legacy yep. situation that gets in the way of something new taking hold. So the thing is, to your point, how to make sure that the, that the let go moment is, is in there. So that's where I, I always said we have to ha create a demolition group. That is a separate group right. that on top of the utmost authority of your organization has the license to take whatever kind of stuff you have, take it out and just rush out without anybody can, uh, can stall them. Before anybody can stop them. So yeah. the thing is that 
People brag often that innovation makes healthcare more expensive. The reality is that mm -hmm. those four years that you keep that professor, existing. that keeps that existing system, that is what making healthcare and innovation expensive. Really expensive. Not the other thing. So the CEO of the company has to decide, so now it's time to get rid of the fax machine to name one, for instance. Yeah, wouldn't that be? Any questions out here? Oh, okay, great. Hi, my name is Stefania, I'm from Italy. I am a former designer and I work for an IT company called Compu Group. My question is, if I understood correctly, these initiatives is uh, based in US and now you are translating in Europe, just to, also because you don't have the slides, so it doesn't mm -hmm. help. I was curious about, because you know, hospital, it's about uh, care pathways. So I'm curious about when you say we throw away the technology, but you cannot throw away the care pathway. So I'm curious about the three stages, how you manage, how you handle the care pathway within the different stages. Because you know, technology mostly fail in adoption in the third part, and the nurses and the healthcare team has to mm -hmm. be co-creator yep. in that because technology cannot just be adopted in an hospital. So I was curious about maybe both of you perspective on this. So I can give you two examples. Actually, there are plenty of them where we've had an existing technology that then gets replaced. So medication management is a really good example. We went from on the paper, filling out an order form that would have to go through your formulary and then somehow or another would make it back. And we've gone to digital. And in those times when we've shifted, we've actually been running two things in parallel track and it's a painful process. We've, we've seen that with electronic medical records. We saw that when we went from flat film on our radiology to a digital radiology. But what you do is you really have to have teams together who understand the existing analog and then the digital. They work side by side, but you're working on two tracks with the idea at you, and you pick a date and a set of readiness criteria and you move from one track to the other. But there is a period of time in most institutions when you are running both of them at the same time. And part of that is building in the contingency to figure out what did we miss? Because it's in those little tiny details where you want to make sure that everything that we have created in the digital space or from the analog space into the digital, we haven't missed anything. And then there are also things that we learned. There are outliers. I think one of the biggest outliers we found in medical records actually was gender. You know, how many people were born one gender and assigned to that? And then they end up with that medical record and later on in their life, they have a different gender assignment. And oftentimes it can create a conflict. So it is important that in those implementations that you run them side by side. And there are plenty of examples. I'm sure that you know, you've seen several at Radboud. Well, I think the, the overarching theme here would be you need the whole system in the room. If you start developing solutions without one part of the targeted group that might be professionals, either physicians or nurses or other ones, then you're implementing or creating something that is not of theirs. So at one point in time, you need to merge that whole group. Sometimes it's not good of an idea to do that at the very first stage to bring people who are very on this detail part of that in that first group. But sure enough, you have to bring them in as soon as possible. And Maybe that's the yeah, to your point, it is ma making sure that everybody who's in that activity chain is included because you'll have one small part. Maybe it might be somebody in a new device. They figured out all of the ways that it works in a patient environment, but the one thing that they forgot to do is storage. Like, does it fit? 
in our storage room and can people access it? It's those small little details like that if you don't include the entire participation chain to figure out what works and what doesn't. I see Other the bus questions? going up. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, he's like bringing the, the dance moves over to get us to go. But Is this this hugging moment? Yeah, the hugging <laughs> moment. Um, I, I'll give you a hug. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, very thank much, you so much for thank coming you. and sharing You're all welcome. this. And give it I'll up share to the, the guys slides who can afterwards. do this without slides. Woo! We hope you enjoyed this episode of season three of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast and that you heard something that will trigger your curiosity and advance your digital journey. Many of the examples we bring you are outside of orthopedics, but the technologies and solutions we present are all eminently translatable to musculoskeletal care. Please consider giving us a review on your podcast platform so other people can find us. More importantly, tell a friend about our amazing community. We look forward to sharing the next episode with you. I am your host, Stefano Bini, founder and chair of both the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco and this, the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. <laughs>